0: The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is sponsored by U.S. Bank. Embracing what makes us unique creates more possibilities for all. Learn more at usbank.com diversity. U.S. Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. You're listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. Registration to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion's 33rd Annual Conference is now open. Visit our website for more information or to join our email list at forumworkplaceinclusion.org. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion Annual Conference is the U.S.'s largest workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion conference. Help us bring our vision to life where all people in all workplaces have equitable access to everything they need to feel valued and thrive. We hope to see you there. We get to engage people, advance ideas, and ignite change because of the generous support from our community. If you find our resources meaningful or valuable, please consider supporting the forum today. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org/donate. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org/donate. Thank you very much for your support and generosity. With that, I'd like to say thank you to all our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the forum podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. Please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the forum grows. So thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again and enjoy the show.
1: Hello and thank you for joining us for today's podcast, Effective DEI Strategies Align with What Employees Want with Pam McLevane of Diversity MBA Media, a p Group brand. I'm Ben Rue, Program Associate here at the Forum on Workplace Inclusion. In the wake of the ongoing racial unrest across the US, companies are called to evaluate what DEI looks like in their workplaces. However, creating a new strategy to prioritize DEI is no small feat and it can be even more of a challenge to ensure employees are on board and heard. Through this discussion, one can learn how to create an effective DEI strategy that resonates with workers. If creating a stronger, more inclusive workplace culture is a goal you're reaching toward, then this conversation is for you. In this podcast, you'll learn critical changes companies are making to align DEI strategies with current events, Understand the impact of listening circles and strategies to sustain progress, and learn the metric to grasp how effective your CEO is in raising the trust pulse within your workforce. Pam McLevane is the current Chief Engagement Officer of PNL Group Holding Company with a background in publishing, research, recognition, and learning solutions. PNL Group manages three brands Diversity MDA Media. 3i Research Institute, and Diversity Learning Solutions. Pam's blended work fostered a platform for original database learning that dives into the disciplines of diversity, equity, inclusion, leadership, and talent management. She has combined her passions for DEI and helping others to support the strategy execution of leaders across the globe. Her 14 years of data collection expertise has helped up-and-comers as well as experienced leaders align with their employees. In the 25 years she has spent as an entrepreneur, Pam has been humbled and grateful to partner with organizations, including UPMC, the Clorox Company, Walmart Inc., Colgate-Palmolive, and many more. She earned her MBA in finance and international marketing from the University of California at Berkeley, Haas School of Business, and her executive education certification from Dartmouth Tufts School of Business.
2: Thank you, Ben, for this opportunity to engage in this conversation. Um, I feel really excited uh, to be here this afternoon.
1: Thank you, Pam, so much for being part of the series. We're really excited to have you. So let's just hop on in. Um, first, why do you uh, still why do you think we still need a business case for diversity, equity, inclusion?
2: Wow, what a, what a great question. Um, and it, you know it's it's also unfortunate to think that in today's um, on the journey line of where we are with inclusive diversity and inclusion and equity that we have to still talk about the business case. Well, with 78% of the leaders being white Americans, and of that, 46% of them are women. And while that sounds like a good number, 79% of them are white women. And not to say that that's not a great thing to see a large group of women being advanced. But when you think about the number of women of color and people of color that are still in the lower ranks and not ready at significant numbers to advance in the C-suites, we have to diversify our pipeline more. And then so who's doing the recruiting 73% of our recruiters are white Americans, only 27% of them are people of color. And then when you look at the lens 69% are, are women. So here again, not just to say that Um, we don't want to do you know to have women or white white americans doing the recruiting but the reality is this is the lens that we're sourcing talent through so the the business case is that we have to expand and we have to be different in terms of how we engage and go out and source talent in places that we haven't done normally and when you look at advancement White women are being advanced five to one to people of color and white men eight to one to people of color. And African-American women, unfortunately, are the lowest on that poll when you um, assess those numbers. So that then again says, oh my goodness, so now we're dealing with you know how difficult it is for people of color to get to the top and to sustain there, and then who's actually positioning them to help get them that, that kind of access. And then Clearly, what is actually going on? What is the reality that is happening within the workforce when you look at the numbers of promotion and advancement? And then finally, um, I just got to tell you, everyone's talking about the, pop- the good old adage of diverse slates. Well, only 38% of companies um, acquire accountability with, uh, with metrics aligned to those business leaders. So our data comes from our 14 years from our Inclusive Leadership Index, where we have more than 600 companies on annual basis participating. So this is annual data that we're getting every year. So we're seeing what's happening real time in the shift. So just just those numbers alone and talking about why if you continue to do the same thing year over year, you will continue to get the same results. That's the reason why we need to adjust the business case.
1: I say, isn't that the definition of madness? Continuing to do the same thing and expecting different results. (laughs) So how important is it for DEI strategy to align with business functions and talent management specifically? Can you talk a bit about the key components that should be in a solid DEI strategy?
2: Yeah, that's a very good question. So when you think about what I call the intersection of a roadmap, of your strategic roadmap with other business functions, one, everyone has to be in it when they say, we're all here together, let's all get into it together. And, and that, is, that is exactly what has to happen. So aligning diversity, the diversity strategy to not only just talent acquisition and talent, manage, and talent management, but across all business functions. So when you look at diversity recruiting, it, you know you have to have that specific lens and when you're lay, laying out what are the key initiatives that we want to make sure talent acquisition achieves when you talk about representation at all levels from senior leaders middle management from pipeline to to being accountable to EEOC um, one guidelines and reporting. You are That's what you're driving in terms of how are we advancing talent? What does our pipeline look like? So representation is a huge part of the strategy that shouldn't just sit in one function. The accountability has to be aligned throughout the entire organization. So the DEI strategy has an opportunity to be represented across the organization so sitting down with those leaders understanding what their accountable goals and outcomes are and then being influencer in ensuring that those are achieved and then when you look at culture workplace inclusion and retention you that's a real big piece a part of you know the work that the diversity equity um, office does however You have to talk to and understand what's happening in terms of the employee performance review process and talent management. You have to understand the the pay equity um, access and the inequities that exist in the organization. So you as a diversity leader having a a broader strategic outlook in terms of how you're going to help them navigate to to minimize and in some cases mitigate some of these issues that exist. And, And retention versus early churn, having those real conversations in terms of how sustainability impacts your existing workforce and how losing people too early impacts the bottom line and what's actually going on within the culture when that happens. So workplace inclusion becomes something that is bigger than um, Than initiatives and activities, it's how people are resonating with the values within the organization. So DEI strategies have the abilities to uh, make sure those are those pillars um, penetrate across the organization. And then, and then finally, when you're looking at you know advancement and the accountability within that, you know, looking at rate of advancement for people of color. Um, as compared to white women and um, and white men, having those representation numbers, um, what the accountability goals are, what what reward systems, both compensation and non-compensation, looks like, these pieces have to be a part of what um, DEI leaders have to have within their or- their um, their initiatives and their strategies. Uh, when you look at Overall succession planning and accountability metrics. You know, these are changing today on what intentionality looks like. So, this is an opportunity for, from a roadmap perspective, um, I believe, for DEI leaders to really relook at, retool, and be able to have their strategies align across the organization. Um, I do know the second, do you mind repeating the second part of the question? Yeah, yeah,
1: no, not at all. So can you talk a bit about uh, key components that should be in a solid DEI strategy?
2: Oh, okay, yeah, after I, yeah. So I did talk about those where we said, you know, the recruitment, representation, workplace and inclusion retention, succession planning and accountability. I just wanna just add how, you know, when you look at those big rocks, what are DEI executives doing today where they have to pivot strategies that they have already um, created? How is that being impacted? So when I talk to um, chief diversity officers and chief people officers um, about what they're thinking about, they, they talk about next. And I said, hmm, what, is, what does that mean? It was like, well, we're looking at the next. So I came up with an acronym, acronym and said, how about the new engagement to exchange ideas together? And with when we're talking about both the existing workforce, your external partners, and your community at large. And I said, I like that because the next doesn't have a timeline to it. It's a continuum that we have to look at. So, so what are... Some of the um, key things that our leaders are doing that they have to pivot to bring their strategies current and to make it real. First, um, they had some of the I, th- I call this a leading practice where they're hiring dedicated executives to work on anti-racism strategies and components just separate and in addition to what's going on in dni because structural racism isn't something that just showed up structural racism has been here and it's manifested from institution to institution and then it become systemized within the workplace so when that happens the dei strategy has to be able to pivot um, and to be able to be agile enough so that folks that understand within the culture can adjust to it. So what else does that mean in terms of what they have to do? So focusing on what does an anti-racist strategy look like in terms of our workforce that's penetrated within our suppliers and community, we have to understand how advancing um, diversity, equity and inclusion leaders to levels of organizational influence that they weren't at before. So leaders that have had the access to their CEOs are doing more work faster and deeper than those that before were bottlenecked. But what has happened with the pivoting of, I mean, for them to be able to pivot their strategies, the heightened awareness with the, the trifecta, with race relations, the pandemic, and now the elections, having to deal with the impact of all of that is making and forcing as well as requiring opportunities for the DEI leaders to take advantage of what the ears and the listings now that they have. So aligning the remote workforce uh, with engagement uh, strategies, working across the halls with the learning organization, the training and development organization, the actual um, marketing and communication organizations, so that orga- so companies can immediately uh, and very realistically shift to how they are positioning themselves, how they're posturing to their, uh, to the existing marketplace community, both external and workforce, internally. Uh, And that's a real pivoting that has to take place and going on right now. The other deep dive that, not to say that it didn't happen before, but it's really happening where diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders um, are able to leverage employee resource groups and business resource groups and networks um, and councils and inclusion Councils at ways they never did before. And that is understanding all the dimensions of diversity, understanding the impact of the heightened racism and structural injustice that exists on, you know, mostly on African Americans and then Hispanics, but then the impact of all of it on all the dimensions of diversity, on everyone that has either identity or gender or some level of micro inequity or micro aggression that they've been dealing to. So adjusting and pivoting to deal with the culture real time is something that is not just for today and not just for this moment, but it will be a continuum that goes on. So the training that has occurred before becomes very different because it needs to have dimensions of behavioral uh, changes aligned to it. How do we create rituals for habits? So that's working closer than you have before with your your counterparts. And then even, and and you're like, woo, really Pam? Well, yeah, just a few more things here. Leveraging diversity councils and other executive councils to become race equity advisory councils where you have an opportunity, right? Where they're mixed typically with you know white executive male and women and people of color, but to understand at a deep at a deeper and a different level of how the impact of what's going on in, in the world is impacting the people that work because what Organizations um, have said is we want to be responsive not only to our workforce but also to our customer base and also to our community. So the DEI strategies now are really having to be overarching. Even though you know you have your sustainability sustainability organization and everyone's looking at their different issues and supplier diversity, but they're having to be overarching strategies integrated where the pillars are working off of one another and creating more institutional um, integration over time so that it will be, you know, no matter if one individual leaves or it's not, it's not um, a part of individuals' visions, but it's a part of the organization's sustainability. So stronger alignment you know, across the community, as well as across business functions, as well as across what you do and how you deliver to your customer base is all what is happening now with the adjustments um, and, and delivering roadmaps for the DEI strategies.
1: Thank you. And you mentioned the, the new world we're living in, with everything happening the um, the pandemic, uh, the uh, the racial, uh, the new movement for racial justice, and uh, everyone working from home. Um, what do employees uh, want or need to feel psychologically safe and supported in this new normal?
2: You know, that's such a powerful question. And Um, I can share with you, we've been listening uh, part part of listening circles for both employees, I've been part of town halls with leaders, been part of, um, had the opportunity to hear from all groups uh, across the organization. And so creating new experiences, that's what these courageous conversations have done, and what we call also establishing difficult conversations and listening sessions because of the George Floyd um, murder and assassination and more. So the employees saying, OK, these new experiences with these courageous conversations are continuing, so that's good to know that our leaders want to hear and know how we're feeling. But we want to be heard authentically, meaning that what we say and what we share, we want it to be real. Um we want to feel that we can trust the environment and be psychologically safe. Well, the reality is of 100 percent employees, 78 percent, which is the majority of white Americans in the workforce, they feel, you know, pretty safe. You look at a scale of uh, one to 10 they typically break between eight and 10. So they feel pretty comfortable. But when you look at people of color, and you can break down those dimensions, um, it start, it's really different. Um, African-Americans are the lowest, then the Hispanics, and then the Asians. And then the Asians then break up, they break down, if you want to look at Middle Easterners, although they're identified as white American in our census. But in the workforce, you know, you have mu- Muslims, and you have folks that truly are, you know, are of color, and, and they are a minority group. So the dimensions of micro inequities and micro exec- aggressions that exist in the workforce, been are huge, and across industries and across um, disciplines they exist among these groups of color. And so they, once they're heard um, and they feel some sense of understanding to build psychological safety and trust, they need to know that what are the actions that you, we're gonna take to sustain this continued learning in our environment and culture? What are the tolerances that we're not going to accept when we talk about People that are in a bubble and continue with their micro inequities by by talking about um, you know why are black people destroying their own communities out of frustration it makes no sense unless you understand the history of it wanting to be able to feel that there will be no retaliation in terms of having these kinds of conversations so you know so with that. With the knowledge that's been shared, the employees—and and this is all of them—white, the allies that want to be better allies, you know, as well as all people of color—they want to know that after being able to release and share frustration of what's been going on at home, because they bring it into work, right? These are realities. I mean, my reality is I have, uh, you know, two brown boys in college a gen z and both of them gen z's one's a junior and one is a freshman that it terrifies me to think about when they're saying oh i'm going to be out at night with my friends and making sure they know what to do if they're stopped by a police officer for whatever reason um, and making sure they say nothing making sure their hands are present and forward and you know, why you know, should I have to worry about that and other parents because that's the state that we're in. And so for people to hear that even senior leaders of color have these same issues, you'll find that they wanna know that now the organization is going to put together the kind of effort that will be continued. So the CEOs are showing up and they're having these conversations and they're trying to understand um, so when the employees say that, well, we do feel that there's unfair practices in policies and procedures because of the manifestation of micro inequities are so embedded and ingrained in our culture, um, how how are we going to you know, change that? While bias and understanding both implicit and, ex- and explicit bias is a good thing, it's, it's, the, it's the top it's a very surface-level um, exposure, creating awareness. Now, what are the, going to be the rituals and habits and behaviors we're going to have to bring forward to change that? So, an example is um, in, in in typically healthcare, uh, where it's covert. And, and let me step back and say this: biases for um, uh, micro inequities typically are. Covert, or they are um, not known and they're not aware. So, people that sometimes are bringing forth uh, microaggressions aren't always, I will say, most people aren't, most of the time, don't know that they're doing this. So, now with these courageous conversations and people of color are sharing with them that you are doing this and this is how it's making me feel, and we're on teams together and I need to be able to feel better to work with you. Um, how, how are you going to change um, now that you understand? So this is a huge opportunity for companies to answer what the employees feel that they need. They're speaking out and saying, we're hopeful, but can we make sure you have the tools for both our managers and our team leaders to be okay with having difficult conversations and not feeling retaliation? Um, black women at all levels are saying we're being filled with the angry Black women's syndrome. Can, can we get over that? How do I get past having to have that feeling and tell someone this is what and how you're making me feel? Allyship has become one of the greatest, the largest platforms to create access, safety, and fairness for employees. So we're organizations can create allies and allow it to foster within your cultures at all levels, it's probably going to be the most powerful um, activity that you can bring together all groups. Unequivocally across groups, they all have said, if I had an ally, including white men, by the way, allies are proven to be able to step up and speak out and help individuals when they're in a place not able to defend themselves or to champion themselves. Allyships now can show up in so many different forms beyond education, right? Beyond exposure, but being in a way that it could be presented in in daily routines and where cross-functional teams can come together and learn from each other throughout the organization and find ways from peer-to-peer mentoring kinds of examples to support each other um, to the next level. So these are, these are the kinds of really major um, events that, that employees are looking for. They also just want policies that are unfair once they're identified to know that they will be enforced. Um, the example that I was thinking about is in healthcare industry, sometimes you know you have patients that come in And you have our first responders, our nurses, um, our um, different uh, uh, safety, security people within hospitals and other administrators that are there and frontline people helping all patients of color, um, including white, uh, will come in and, and they'll have different attitudes. Some of the white patients might have some biases that are embedded and then they'll come out. Those behaviors will come out in the hospitals and the healthcare in a way that should not be tolerated. So the employees are saying, you know, we don't want to have the spillover of the bad behavior from the community coming into the workplace. But if it does, how are you going to protect us from that? How do we know? that that is not tolerated. So those are the kinds of things that the employees want to know and hear how leadership is going to take care of those. They want leadership to be clear on the yes and what that means in creating psychological safety in the workplace in creating trust in helping leaders understand what the values will be and what that really looks like.
1: To pick up on what you just left off on um, and and mentioned several times in the that in, in the last segment is the importance of leadership and good leadership. Um, so what do leaders need to be successful?
2: Another good question, Ben. I tell you. That's the big um, one. That's but, the big one. Because <laughs> it, it starts from the, the top. It, it really does. And and leaders you know, so what they're getting an example, what they're getting um, an opportunity to do is to express themselves in uh, and admit that, hey, I've been in a bubble. And they are, they're, they're admitting they've been in a bubble and admitting that I don't understand. I didn't know that my, this, my colleague, that senior vice president down the hall was dealing with this every day. And now that I'm aware of this, I need to educate myself and be more committed but with that, and with them saying that, um, you know, hearing them say, "Well, yes, you have to accept individual accountability and responsibility to ensure that the values that the organization um, reflects is shows up in how you behave." And so they're like, "How do I model inclusive behavior?" So having tools, having creating the toolkit, practicing, helping them understand that. You have to demonstrate what this means. And then being able to have a tolerance for the leaders to make some mistakes and fail forward because they sometimes don't always know what is the right steps to do. But the big one, of course, is the accountability, which, you know, CEOs um, have to be, you know, ferocious. They have to be furious in in doing this and driving accountability, not just cascaded down to every employee, but clearly from your senior leaders who will then model that to their next levels. You can't just say, oh, I know what to do without doing it um, and and without having some consequence of not doing it. They too can't have had a tolerance of this behavior. They have been complicit for a long time, but no longer can they get away with legitimizing and normalizing behavior of implicit bias. They're aware of it now and they have to be able to make mistakes and be okay with making those mistakes. And that's where the diversity equity officer and inclusion officer Um, is pairing with those leaders and being able to have those real honest open conversations with them and what they need to do to change and some of them have been very humble and vulnerable and when they are vulnerable like that you know that that helps with the trust within the environment and the culture that helps with folks wanting to be able to say yes I trust this environment. Some of the organizations, what they've done is, um, you know, you've heard the external commitment letters from the CEOs, but they've created um, platforms and initiatives in their own cultures where leaders have had to sign on um, the commitment and then they've been given the toolkits and then they've said, okay, which initiative are you focused on this week? Which habit are you going to change? Um, one chief diversity officer just told me the other day how important it is for them to create a plan. And the leaders have to create a plan to change and, and know that it takes time for that to occur. So we do know, while it starts at the top, the journey line, they're still they're one of the nuggets on the journey line. And it's gonna take some time for them to, you know, step up and speak out. That's the biggest competency. That a behavior that many um, of the employees that they want, they said, we just want our leader to not be afraid to speak up and and speak out, particularly when they see it wrong. We want them to be comfortable enough to say, let me pull you over to the side and let's let's talk about why you were behaving this way. Either well, done. <laughs> yeah, and it takes courage to do that, right? So we know that. We do know that. And we do know, even though you give them tools and then and, and there's accountability, they're going to try um, for that to happen. But the reality is they, too, have to go through this new normal and adjust how they manage, how they behave, and how they lead. And, and that is happening. You do have leaders that really have the empathy. We call it the um, um, emotional agility, where they too can be angry. You know, White Americans can too be angry, highly frustrated, yet hopeful in what's going on. But in their time of frustration, they have to be able to have emotional agility so, so that our leaders can understand to be able to process the emotion without taking negative action. Once the emotion is processed, then you can think clearly on what they need to do next. And and it takes training for this kind of thing. This is new way of thinking, but it's, it's something that's been here for a long time, Ben, and we should have had leaders step up in the forefront many, many years ago and start to champion these causes. Because when you think about, you know, Roosevelt, Dr. Roosevelt, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how it shows up within the cultures have been going on for years. You have folks been doing this work for 40 years, or the late Dr. Roosevelt, been talking and teaching on campuses. These are the things that we need to do. So at the end of the day, having a culture that's accepting of making some mistakes, even among your leaders, them being vulnerable and humble, and um, together, too, they can be part of the next in the change
1: I mean, it's always so hard to be a leader. Um, I'm sure you understand, and it's even harder now than ever. Harder now than ever. How are you seeing CEOs creating trust within their
2: organizations? Whoa, what a way to wrap up! <laughs> <That's> <laughs> another really good one, Ben. Um, so you know, I've been looking and um, watching, listening, and being a part of a lot of conversations in the executive. Uh, wing of organizations, and I, I feel privileged to be there. And really, you're talking about how how can CEOs and what are they doing, you know, to raise the trust posts in their organizations? Well, number one is is um, is how they're speaking up and speaking out. Um, if they're being fearless or not, um, is where is how they're showing up is what most employees are saying we want. And we want to see that on a continuous basis. Now, of course, some CEOs, depending on their, their own styles, will speak up and show out. But we're finding the largest impact is how they show up um, in the communities, how they uh, are definitely making the statements and, and influencing um, external behaviors that softens the internal impact. Secondly, is is the engagement? How, how are they engaged with their um, their workforce and their stakeholders? We know at the end of the day, CEOs are beholden to their board of directors, who have competing priorities in what they have to deal deal with on a daily basis, but. The board of directors itself has a fiduciary responsibility to the duty of care and, and who is that? That is to their consumers and their customers and which are also the employees. So um, when you go back to where the responsibility lies, um, CEOs are saying, well, we, we need to engage at, at multidimensional levels daily, you know, weekly and monthly. And we see effective communications coming from Uh, CEOs that are not just sending emails but they're allowing their employees to be responsive and they're taking the time to actually respond to some of the inquiries that they're getting. They've set up communication teams to make sure that every request that an employee or question inquiry that they raise that they'll get a response to. Some of them are taking the time and writing weekly letters to their employees They're very thoughtful, very emotional. They're showing vulnerable sides of themselves, admitting that they didn't even realize that their cultures internally were were so unrest themselves. So that kind of vulnerability helps. And the monthly town halls, um, organizations are uh, leveraging polls that way they never have before, monthly basis, bi-weekly basis, trying to understand what the employees want to hear. From senior leadership and actually getting that kind of communication, the authenticity as much as they can, even when they have to furlough. But the CEOs also have been making some huge uh, decisions in terms of how do we support our workforce during this time, whether in healthcare or not? How do we Shift some of our funds from investing what we give to the community. Uh, organizations um, have made decisions to give employees at X salary levels some monies that they might have given to the community to keep their workforce fed when um, they had to furlough them. Um, these are the kinds of things that were going on. Resources into mental health and well being have been invested, allowing the leadership. To do what is necessary as they hear real time what is needed from their employee base. And the CEOs that have stepped back and allowed this level of autonomy and integration from their leaders to cascade down to the employees' well being is showing up in a big way. And then, even more than that, CEOs that have said, you know what, whoa, this is an opportunity, we can take advantage of advancing some talent let's go ahead and see where we have ready talent that we can move into some of these roles right now. And so we've seen that. I've seen quite a bit of that. In fact, it's been quite significant in terms of seeing how people of color have been advanced in organizations. Now it's not, you know, you're not happy that it's happening now because of these pressures, but the good news is it's happening and they have the ready talent that's available for it to happen. So who? So these are a lot of the different things that CEOs are doing to make sure that what they say is actually showing up. Because we know that culture strategy, right? So we, we know that's that's not nothing new, and we know that truly. Uh, the CEOs that are coming out and talking about, we will not tolerate racism, this will not happen. I will name some of the Fortune 10 companies that are doing a lot of work in the community, but still are being marginalized in what they do inside their workforce. So we still have a long way to go. I I don't wanna create um, a visual that we're there, we're not, but the heightened awareness of what's happening in the black experience is allowing organizations and other groups to benefit of what's going on with this experience um, among all groups of diversity. Um, so I, I leave you with this. If we together can find one action to take, to move forward, um, imagine how many little steps forward will move us toward our successful outcomes
1: thank you pam for that wonderful podcast and wonderful conversation and thank you listeners for joining us for today if you'd like to learn more you can feel free to reach out to pam directly at pam at magazine.com. you can listen to more forum podcasts at our website forumworkplaceinclusion.org broadcasts forward, forward, forward slash podcast you can also find our podcast on spotify anchor and stitcher thank you again for joining and listening and have a great day and happy holiday
0: thank you again for listening to the forum and workplace inclusion podcast don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes also tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast we'd love to hear your feedback for more information visit us at forum workplace inclusion.org or search workplace forum on facebook twitter and linkedin thank you very much and have a great day The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. An Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the local arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.